0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Community Church in Springfield, Missouri. Christ Community features life-giving, verse-by-verse teaching from the Bible. If you would like more information about CCC, you can visit our website at cccspringfield.org. We trust these messages will challenge and encourage you in being a faithful follower of Christ. Most people don't know about Samuel Pierpont Langley except for an Air Force base in Virginia that is named after him. In the early 20th century, people were pursuing the dream of flight, and Langley had what we assume to be the recipe for success. He was given $50,000, a handsome sum in the early 1900s, by the War Department to figure out how to put together a flying machine. Money was no problem. He also held a seat at Harvard and he worked for the Smithsonian. So he was extremely well connected for the the brightest minds and he hired these people. And you might say the market conditions were great for them to figure out how to fly. Uh, The New York Times followed this group around wherever they went, rooting for Langley. A few hundred miles away in Dayton, Ohio, Orville and Wilbur Wright had none of what you would consider the recipe for success, had no money, Uh, they had a dream, um, but it basically was funded by the proceeds from their little bicycle shop. Not a single person on Wright's team or from Wright's family uh, had a college education, Uh, not even Orville or Wilbur. And the New York Times didn't bother to follow them around at all. The difference was that Orville and Wilbur Wright were driven by a cause, a purpose. You might even say a vision that could change the course of the world. Samuel Pierpont Langley was different. He, what the author said from where I read this, wanted to be rich, and he wanted to be famous. And he was in pursuit of A particular result. The people who believed the Wright brothers' dream worked with them with blood, sweat, and tears. Langley's group, they earned a paycheck. There are stories of how every time the Wright brothers got together and would um, take a practice run with their machine for the day, they would take five sets apart, of of parts. And each of those sets would help them because they figured that they would crash at least five times before supper and they were going to need those parts. And eventually, on December 17th, 1903, the Wright brothers took flight. Interesting thing, they were the only ones to experience it. Nobody heard about it until days later. Further proof that Langley didn't have lasting motivation was after he heard about the Wright brothers, he quit. He could have said, That's an amazing discovery, guys. Let me see if I can improve upon your technology. But he didn't. He wasn't first, he didn't get rich, he didn't get famous. So he quit. You can call this vision. You can call it purpose. You can call it passion. It's hard to quantify the importance of drive to accomplish something that is important, especially as it relates to, let's say, a divine mission. Now, leadership and vision have value. There's probably not a person in here who hasn't heard Or read about multiple ways that this is so important. But I wanna throw you a curveball today. Have we possibly overestimated our importance when it comes to kingdom work? Particularly when it comes to humans propagating a vision? I'm reminded of Paul's words that we just read. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, and I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, with all the years i spent in business and years as a pastor, I have interviewed Hundreds of people. I've yet to have somebody in an interview say, you know what, I don't think I'm fit for this job, but when I'm weak, then I'm strong. You'd look at them like, what? That just doesn't fit the narrative of successful business. But yet here we are in the Christian life, in the church, and this is what Paul's saying? Consider the instructions of Jesus when all the disciples were around. And they're all concerned about being the first. They're all concerned about, you know, having some power to wield. And Jesus says, no, you know, it's going to be the first on earth that are going to be the last. And the last will be first in the kingdom. And then he blows their mind by taking a basin and towel and he starts washing their feet what see I I wonder if leaders today in the church they don't mind a photo op that shows them serving but are they really servants see most people that are leaders might prefer to be in charge to be first to tell others what to do of course We need leaders, but have we overestimated human effort and downgraded God's supernatural ability? If our prayers are a barometer of this, maybe we could say it this way. When you have great confidence in your own ability, you will pray a lot less And when you have great confidence in God's power, it will increase your prayers. I've told this story before, but it bears repeating. If you've heard it before, just nod your head like it was the first time and smile, okay? But I remember when I was doing my graduate work and I'd have to drive to Chicago a couple times a year. And on one trip, about an eight-hour trip, I was listening to some cassette tapes. For you kids, you don't know what those are. They're about this big, and put them in your car, and they play things. If you don't know what it is, just come to me, and I'll show you in my car. I've got a whole stack of them, okay? (laughs) I had to replace my eight-track with those cassettes. I was listening to a series by a famous Christian author. And he was talking about the importance of vision for pastoring. And he gave the characteristics of what a good pastor would have to exhibit vision. And by the time I got to Chicago... I felt completely defeated because I was not that guy. I did not measure up to this guy's idea of what a visionary really is. I mean, I prefer small groups over a large crowd. I don't even get all that jazz by public speaking. I would rather study. I don't dislike it. It just, I just do it. I would prefer to have a, a classroom where there's, where there's interaction. Does that mean, then, that I can't be used? that God doesn't want me as a pastor because I don't have all the gifts that somebody said you should have? Have you ever heard pastors, I I hear this all the time, that they'll say they're not good with people. Um, they, They don't mind pastoring. What they mean by that is, I like being up in front of people, speaking to a large crowd, but I'm not good with people. I don't really love people. I tire of hearing this that church leaders don't build relationships, that they're bad at it, but they savor the influence in front of a large group. I think they need help. They think they're great leaders. Let me ask you this question. Is love and truly serving one another central to ministry? Or is it just an ancillary part, particularly if you have a leadership gift or bent? Are the the best ministry leaders supposed to be like generals? Commanding everybody what to do? Now, don't get me wrong, God can use anybody, but my thesis today is that as a church, we have to be clear and maybe see those unseen things that the kingdom of God values. And we have to be clear about how we get there. What's the process? we've got this building going up to the south of us. I reminisced about how little I have done to see this building go up. I wasn't even for it when it was initially brought up. Now, I've since clearly seen that God's been behind it. And I've been amazed at seeing God work. But it had little to do with my leadership. Now, before you start to peg me with some kind of false humility and I'm somehow pining for you to say something to me, stop. That's not the issue. My problem is not thinking too little of myself, but thinking too much about myself. And if you think that's unique for me, uh, James has some things to say about us. Particularly when we have conflict with other people. Anybody here ever have conflict with another person? All of us. And James writes about the reason why. And he pinpoints the issue, which is true for all of us. And he says in James 4, and 4 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, that's me, but gives grace to the humble. I hope that can be me. And then in verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Now, if you're like a lot of people, you're gonna think, well, listen, that's not my problem because I've got humility because I'm really insecure. Could it be that our confidence is misplaced in fleshly things when insecurity is rampant. When we gauge the hurt we feel in social settings, or let's say even within our family, we feel small, we don't want to venture out in relationships or do certain things, and we feel embarrassed by all these human judgments. All of us know what that feels like, right? But let me ask you, is that the spirit of God telling you not to ever venture out? Telling you not to attempt anything? Or is that your flesh? Is that the, the prideful part of us trying to be self-protective? You know, God or oh, actually it was Paul. <laughs> doing the writing, but God used Paul to give these words to a young pastor. And of course, I'm sure he had plenty of insecurities. And Paul said, God has given you not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So in Christ, in the power of of the Spirit, there is a capacity to have relationships and love. Then to have an influence to wield your power in a way that it serves the community well. And then to have control over your inclinations that get in the way of you walking with Christ. We've often heard this, but listen, It's really not an excuse. That's just the way I am. You never hear Paul saying to Timothy, listen, that's just the way you are. Don't worry about the spirit inside of you. You just do you. No. God has given you not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So I I have the capacity in the spirit of God to love. So, we're all weak. We all see areas in which we don't love well. Okay, we can buy that. How about when we mess up? How about when we fail? Can God use that? Getting back to the building, I can remember... God not answering my prayers for a specific place for us to meet before we acquired this property. And there were multiple places around Springfield I would go to and pray, oh, God, could you give us this? You know, it wouldn't work out. Could you give us that? And I would park in a parking lot and say, oh, that's a great-looking building, Lord. Could, could you give us that? I didn't know he'd already had a place reserved for us. We tried under my exemplary leadership (laughs) to buy a place on St. Louis Street, failed. Uh, Thought we had the deal done, ended up doing the deal with somebody else. So, took a long time but we all made a decision for a property at Evans and 65. And I called the bank and they said, We just sold it today. Failed. We found some other property at Division in 65 behind Cooper Estates. And again, it takes, you know, weeks if not months to get the congregation together and find out that you can do this thing. And so we did that. Finally had a check in hand for the down payment. Called the real estate agent. He said, "Uh, I just sold it today. Again, failed. I could not engineer a solution, but God made something else happen far beyond what we could ask or think. And by the way, when this property was acquired, I had really nothing to do with it. Finally realized I'm really not a real estate agent. Why don't we get other people in our body who are maybe good at some of these things, give them the responsibility, which they did. And they did a great job, even people to come before the body and communicate to the body. And they found it, we bought it, and the rest is history. God worked in spite of this leader messing things up or failing. It reminds me of a statement that Jesus made. Now, listen, he was not talking about a church building, but I think it's still applicable. When he said to his disciples, I will build my church. Dare we think that he really meant that? I will build my church please don't think that I'm saying God doesn't use men and women gifted in leadership. But I think that their reward is equal to their submission to the Holy Spirit and their humility in loving and serving well. You know, Paul didn't speak too highly of people who could do some terrific things with their leadership. In fact, They could move mountains, or you might say even large crowds. But if they didn't have love, do you remember what Paul said it amounted to? 1 Corinthians 13, read those first couple verses. If I do not have love, I have what? Nothing. Listen, that's far more critical than even what I was saying. My goal today is for us to increase our confidence in God and to increase our efforts in prayer. And then we're going to increase our praise for him because of what we see him doing. Now, normally when we think of the health of a church, what do we think of? We think of money and number of people. Um... It's interesting when you read the Lord addressing churches in Revelation 2 and 3 that those things were really not the issue. You don't see those questions about their having a lot of money or um, having a bunch of people. That wasn't a dominant theme. Instead, they were faced with considering more important questions, to ponder something deeper, something that forges our our actions and, and direction. What do we really think of God? Have we dealt honestly with ourselves and our sin? What is it that we value the most? What is it that God is truly saying to us? If I could put it in one statement, I would say this, that I am responsible to position my heart alongside what God values the most. And sometimes that doesn't always equal what a church can value, right? But if we value what God values the most, I think that's a step in seeking the kingdom of God. Now, when we think of our mission statement of advancing the kingdom of Christ, we're talking about the realm of God's sovereign rule, a place where his sovereign power is exercised. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you, said the gospel writer of Matthew. Jesus said these words to the disciples who were having these questions about meeting basic needs like food and covering and that kind of stuff. They were worried about money. We can relate to that. In verse 27, Jesus adds, and which of you by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life. That's a way of saying you have far less control than you think you have. And then Luke adds in his gospel, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. I've heard... A lot of Christians talk about how they don't have a purpose. They don't understand their purpose. You know, the existentialists would say that there was no grand purpose to life. You had to find it just for yourself. Maybe that could be a, a race car driver or a horticulturalist or whatever it is. That's your purpose. And so it, it, it's specific and and personal to you, but that's the best you're ever going to get. That there's no ultimate purpose or meaning for humans. The existentialists were wrong. God has a kingdom. His kingdom has purpose. And his rule is manifested through us coming under his values and his purpose. And so we as a people are to be obedient and to love and to serve in the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean everybody preaches. It just means that we each have a, a position somehow. And whether you're a preacher or a nursery worker or you have a Bible study in the community or you're a single mom or whatever it is you do, okay, we take a towel and a basin or to serve the people that we're responsible for. In the kingdom of God, those that are first by an earthly measure will be last. Those who seek top billing, that's not where it's at. You might ask well to what extent are we to do this serving well jesus addressed that too in luke when he said to him leave the dead to bear their own dead but for you go and proclaim the kingdom of god yet to another uh, he said i will follow you lord but let me first say well say farewell to those at the house jesus said to him no one who puts his hand to his plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of god christ reminds us that When the farmer puts his hand to the plow, he has to pay attention and not look back so he doesn't mess up his crops. And likewise, Christ is asking us to not be distracted with other obligations. He's not saying be irresponsible with your family. That's not the issue. It's an issue of priority. In fact, the Christian ought to say, how can I with my family serve Christ how can I with how I handle my money be a good steward to Christ everything falls under or in the kingdom of God and so I'm to have my attention fixed upon him but it's easy to get distracted right And there's much to distract us. Maybe one of the biggest things is just prior hurts. Times with maybe another Christian organization that uh, there was a great amount of pain, and you just said, screw it. I'm not doing this anymore. And so what you've done is you've taken your hand off the plow because you're looking behind you. Worldly attractions can also be an attract a a distraction, and we fail to commit ourselves wholeheartedly. Kingdom of God is mentioned 103 times in the parables. It was the primary message of Jesus because it spoke of God's rule upon the earth. I mean, we want new people in the kingdom. We want people in the kingdom serving the king. In Acts 19.8, we read of the ministry of the Apostle Paul, and it says he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Listen, the only reason I have hope for our nation is not when a political party gets in power. That's not it. But my hope is that there can be a vast number of people who can experience the kingdom of God. We can invite people to be a part. We invite people to live and honor God. When we have a great number of people that do that, I think it can make a huge difference. Our flag to rally, to clarify, to direct us is our mission statement that you see right on the wall. Equipping and empower people in their God-given gifts to advance the kingdom of Christ. And so when we come together, it's not just to get, you know, all cleaned up and shiny for a Sunday show. That's not it. But we really come as messy people. I have failed like I've already talked about. You have failed. Could it be that when we come together as a vulnerable community that there's something beautiful about that? We just come honestly. You know, churches have a bad reputation for people being fake. You know, they, they dress up and they put on a show and you don't really know what's going on in their life. That's not the kingdom of God. But when you when we come together as vulnerable people yearning for the kingdom of God, there's, there's something grand about that. It certainly takes the pressure off. Um, people ask me a lot about you know um, don't you feel pressure as a as a pastor when you get up and speak? and I can honestly say, I normally don't because i don't I don't feel like and you' you're a big part of this that I have to put on any front. I can be honest about my struggles. You know I 'm not perfect. Janet knows I'm not perfect. So why try to act like you're any different? There's no pressure there. And so when we come together as a, as a church community, we get in our life groups, and it's like, you know, this is a safe place. And I, I can be real. And there's ministry there, and you realize there's there's great community there and there's a, there's a bond and it's it's a beautiful thing. And what's beautiful is that God is working in the midst of the mess. Remember, God, God did what he wanted to do even though I'd failed. And he can work in you even though you feel like you know, you've got a sordid past, whatever it is. You know, we serve a God who used a man named Moses. Uh, don't forget that Moses killed a guy. Now, I relate more to the Moses who failed than I do to Moses who led his people to cross the Red Sea. Okay? I still want to see God do some cool stuff like that. But I can relate to the failures. Or consider God using a woman named Rahab who worked in the red light district of Jericho. Now, Christian fiction would like to clean up those kind of stories in the Bible, make them G-rated for today's evangelical church. But you know what? God is not deterred by our skeletons in the closet. Oh, I've heard an awful lot. And I've seen God turn lives around in the worst situations you can imagine. And all you can say is, that's God. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Could it be part of those unseen things are these kingdom values, a kingdom way of of doing business, service, love. So for effectiveness, you're going to ask, well, what do I do with this message? Well, to function in the kingdom of God. Listen, we're not independent agents with our own personal agendas here. We we serve our community by loving the least of these. That I know we can do. That we've been doing, and we will continue to do that. We share openly and vulnerably within our faith community. That I know you're already doing. And then we sacrifice time, treasure, and talent in any way we can for the kingdom. Listen, I I share this message not because I feel like there's a great lack in this congregation. I share it because I see you doing these things that I I want to encourage you to, to keep going. But we're still messy, right? We still have failed. But you know, 43 times there's an interesting two-word phrase in the Bible that is really our hope. And you know what it is? But God. After we read of the lie of the serpent in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, we read, but God said. And he intervened with truth. When David was fleeing Saul and Saul was trying to kill him, we read that David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness in the hill country of the wilderness of Zeph and Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. He intervened with protection. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about um, that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God intervened when people and the evil one are against us. But God. But God shows his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. He intervenes when we sin with His great grace, but God. And when it comes to ministry, but God in our failures and weaknesses. For considering your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God and being in him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let one who boasts boast in the Lord. You see, when it comes to kingdom work, God specializes in taking the weak and the foolish. That's me. And he works, he does what he does. And when we stop and listen and humble ourselves, we can see those unseen things. And it's just amazing to see what God does. You know, many times our resources have been brought to the end. And despair grips us. Pessimism Gloom can settle in our hearts, and there's nothing you can do to change it, it seems. Could it be that that's exactly where God wants us? Consider how the Spirit of God wrote so many times in the Scripture, but God. And the whole situation turns into some way that God is moving to Advance the kingdom of God. Whether it's marriage, family, or whatever this church does, our confidence is to be in the power of God and His presence. His ability, even in our failures, even in our weaknesses. And you know why I know he can do that? Because he already has. And he's doing exactly what he said he would do, and he's going to continue to do it. And that we can thank him for. And you know what that does for me as your pastor? That takes the pressure off. I don't have to be somebody else, I don't have to put on a show. Just try to take his word, be honest, try to live my life the best way I can according to his word. And you know, it's the same for you. God's not asking you to be anybody else. You've got a certain gift or two or three or four. Use that. Serve them in your family in your neighborhood. Boy, you know, when, when you have these values of the kingdom, it's amazing how your eyes open up and you see the opportunities. Thank you for listening to the Christ Community Church Podcast.